For those of you that are new or maybe watching online that this is your first time, uh, I'm Pastor Ralph Deal. I'm a senior pastor here at New Hope. Pastor Adam is preaching at another church this morning, so he'll be back next week. But we're rotating on this uh, uh, series we're looking at on the place of grace, where we're looking at the stories of grace from, uh, from the Bible. And in particular, we're looking at the place. What, why did it happen at that place, and what does that have to say to us? Uh, and today, the place we're looking at is found in Matthew chapter 20, if you want to turn there in your Bible. It's at the time clock. How many have ever punched a time clock in your life? Okay, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know what that time clock is all about. Um, my Part of my story is the first full-time job I had in the summertime when I was still in school was working for a produce farmer, and he specialized in sweet corn, cantaloupe, watermelon, and potatoes. Because he did potatoes, I had a job after school, uh, even once school did start, all winter long working for the farmer because we washed, picked out the seconds, and bagged up potatoes, and the farmer took it to market all winter long. So I had, I had a pretty good job, and I learned a lot. One of the things I learned is when it's harvest season, that's top priority. Because there's a narrow window of time to plant the seed. There's a narrow window of time to get the harvest in. And you can't be late. And in the, the area of produce, it's a lot of hands involved in that. You just can't get in there with a machine and do all that. It's, there's a lot of hands-on. And so that got me a good start working for the farmer back in the day. Then, when I went to work full-time, after I got out of school, my first full-time job was working in a, a plant called Commercial Shearing in Butler, where we assembled hydraulic pumps. And so I did that, and I had to punch a time clock going in and punch a time clock going out. Every now and then one of my friends would say, hey, I really need to get out of here early. Can you punch me out? Uh, not supposed to do that. You know, they're paying you. You want them to pay you for not being here. That's really not fair. Anyway, that's my experience with uh, time clocks. But we're talking about at the time clock because the time clock is an important thing if you want to get paid. When I worked for the farmer, my my time card was an index card, and I just wrote out the date, what time I showed up, what time I, I left, and I gave it to the foreman, which was my cousin, and uh, everything was legit. I got paid, I think it was like $1.63 an hour, I think it was, something like that. don't remember for sure, and I'm kind of glad I don't remember. Because <laughs> we worked really hard for that, for that money. Uh, a lot harder than I did once I, once I got uh, paid more than that. So, Matthew chapter 20 is where we're looking. We're going to read the first 16 verses of this story, and I think you'll get the idea where I get the time card idea here as we work through this. First 16 verses, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, Jesus is speaking, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his, his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace 
doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This story makes labor unions cringe. <laughs> it's just not fair. But who said anything in the kingdom of God was fair? Come on. We don't find that principle anyplace. What we do find is that the harvest is top priority. And the landowner treats his employees the way he chooses. Nothing necessarily fair about it. So this parable is in response to a story that happened where a rich young ruler, rich young ruler, man of influence, came to Jesus, heard what Jesus was saying about heaven and earth and the future. And he said to him, what do I need to do to get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus, who always looks into a person's heart, says to him, what you need to do is sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Be one of my disciples. Jesus did not reject him. He invited him to come, but he told him what he had to do to be a disciple. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. He couldn't give up all that. So he turned around, hung his head, and walked away. And then the disciples said to him, Lord, excuse me, Jesus said, it's, it's almost impossible for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's just so difficult for that to be. And then Peter said to him, 
Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for us? What's in it for us? And Jesus, in response to that question, told this parable. Now, one other thing to to really get into the story so that we can get the spiritual implication from it, one other thing we need to learn is very few people had a full-time job back then, like you do. You, You all want some job security, right? You want to work day in and day out and become really good at what you're doing. Back then, they had a thing called day laborers. That was a job classification for the census right up until the 1940s. In other words, there were day laborers. They worked one day at a time. They went down to the place where hiring occurred. They went down, usually it was the marketplace or the town center. And they would go there and they would wait for somebody to come and hire them. And if they needed, if they needed somebody extra down at the factory or down at the, the train station to unload freight cars or someone to work in the fields because it's planting season or harvest season, they would go down and they would hire people for one day. That's kind of foreign to us, isn't it, here in America? We want some kind of job security. But this is interesting. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, we read this about from the Mosaic Law. He says, You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him, The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. In other words, God said in the law, do not wait till the end of the week to pay somebody. You pay them every day at the end of the day. That'd be an administrative nightmare for accountants. You know, it's it's a lot of work just to get the paycheck around at the end of the week or the end of the month, let alone every day. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the time clock as it relates to our service, because one thing's for sure, this is a picture of the pressure God feels in the harvest. It's harvest time, and the harvest is going to rot in the fields if there aren't laborers to get out there to gather it. And so I want to look at a couple different perspectives. Here's the first one. It's the pressure, the pressure of time. We, we, we call this a deadline. You know, whether, whether you work in, a, in an office or you're, you drive a truck or whether you deliver or manufacture or repair something, we all know what deadlines are. You have to get something done by a certain time or you're going to lose the customer. You can't lose the customer. So we have deadlines we have to meet. It's the pressure of time. When the harvest When harvest time is over, winter sets in. So there's intense pressure on this landowner to get his harvest in while he can. His harvest, he says, go work in my vineyard. So we know pretty well he had a vineyard. His harvest was grapes. There's a window of time when you harvest grapes. If you harvest them too early, they're really not sweet enough yet. If you harvest them too late... They're rotting on the vine. You got to get them in that window. So when you're in that window, there's pressure to get the harvest in while you can. And it must have been a massive harvest. 
Because he's out there first thing in the morning, mid-morning, noon, mid-afternoon. He's out there one hour before quitting time hiring people, trying to recruit them. It must be really important to the landowner to get the harvest in. And so he's not out there working with the laborers. His job is to go out and recruit laborers. This is what the father is doing today, recruiting laborers. I was so fortunate that when God reached down and touched my life and I became a Christian for the first time, I had a pastor named Dennis Kutzner who taught me from the very beginning the importance of the harvest, that my responsibility as a Christian was to be involved in the harvest, was to get out there and touching other people's lives, bringing other people into the kingdom. He instilled that in me in the very early days of my faith, that I had a responsibility. I wasn't just to go to church and keep the seat warm. I was to be involved in this Christianity thing, to be involved in evangelism and discipleship and helping other people grow and see them come to Christ. So even though I wasn't in full-time ministry, I worked in a factory assembling hydraulic pumps. I understood that there really was a purpose for my being there. I was to be a lighthouse. I was to be a witness. And I eventually had to quit that job. I was forced to quit that job because I had to make my mind up. My wife's the one who forced me. She said, you have to make your mind up. You're spending all that time in the factory, and then you come around and you spend all this time in church. There's no time for family. You have to make your mind up. Are you going to work in the factory? Are you going to work in the church? You've got to make your mind up. And I had to make my mind up. But I couldn't keep going at that pace, working in the factory, with all my coworkers coming up asking me, would you pray for my marriage? Would you pray for my rebellious teenage son who's into drugs? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for that? I spent too much time counseling. I was always looking over my shoulder to see if the foreman was watching because I'm supposed to be producing. They're paying me to produce, not to talk about Jesus. And so I had this constant awareness that I had to help other people grow Because deadlines loom over all of us. There's only so much time. James chapter 4 verse 14. He says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how much older you're getting? (laughs) And how much faster that's occurring? Do you see the time ticking away in your life? The older you get, the more you see it, the more you recognize it. It's like every time I look in the mirror anymore, it's like a wake-up call. My days are numbered. The pressure's on. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says, And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We're getting closer and closer to the time when that trumpet out of heaven is going to sound, and we're going to be caught away. And even if that's a ways off yet, it doesn't slow down the age thing, does it? So either the trumpet's going to sound and I get caught up to meet the Lord in the air or time passes too fast 
and I die, and the angels escort me into heaven. I win either way. And I think a good, another good example of pressure, the pressure of time is a, is a bathysphere. You know what that is? It's like an early, early day submarine. It's a round, they keep it round to equalize where the pressure's coming from, a round globe uh, sphere where you would put people on the inside. And it would be attached to a ship up above and there would be an air supply, and they would lower people down to the depths of the ocean, really super deep, where there's intense pressure coming in from all sides. And the person on the inside's always got, whether they're a believer or not, they always got a prayer in the back of their mind. Oh, God, don't let this, don't let this thing collapse, because there's no rescue if it does. But when you're down there in the bathysphere, looking out those windows, guess what's out there? fish swimming around. How, how does that fragile fish survive under that intense kind of pressure? God has given that fish an ability to equalize the pressure from the inside so that the pressure doesn't collapse him. There's an equal pressure on the inside. Listen, this earth, this world, if you look at it through God's eyes, is an intense place of pressure. Political pressure, economic pressure, health pressure. We all feel the results of this pressure closing in on us. And the only way you and I can survive with a smile on our face is if there's some kind of equal pressure on the inside that says it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And that's the power the Holy Spirit brings us. It's an equalization thing. Okay, so the pressure of time... The next thing I want us to see is the consistency of time. And uh, some of you teachers out, thank you. You caught the correction. They changed the spelling. I didn't mean consistency, you know, like how thick your density is. So I'm the one with the error. You got it corrected. The consistency, consistent, 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 stays the same. There's some things don't change. The landowner goes out first thing in the morning. Because he wants to hire workers. He goes out mid-morning, does it again. Goes out at noon, does it again. Goes out mid-afternoon, does it again. One hour before the end. Let's call it the 11th hour. There's a call. I believe in this world today, we're living in the 11th hour. It's almost quitting time. Harvest is almost over for the day. And the master is still out there, consistent, trying to bring us in says he went out he went out I love that There's, that's a word picture for us God comes after us he doesn't wait for us to go and say Lord I'd like to serve you today he goes after us he goes after people who haven't said I'd like to serve you today he's looking for people yes. who will work in his vineyard yes. work in his field all day long the hiring continues and the pay is the same for everybody this is cool. God's been calling laborers for centuries. The way laborers work is different. Changes with the times. The way we do it is different. We learned a new song today. I had never sung that song before, never heard that song before, but I sang it today. Things keep changing. Have you noticed that? 
Oh, there's some folks who do not want change. <laughs> well, my grandpa sang these songs. If you go to church, you should sing the same songs. If I go to your church, I'll be glad to sing those songs. But you're going to come here, you're going to sing different ones. Because grandpa's not coming to the church anymore. We've got to reach the ones that are. Some things never change. Let me give you an example of a couple things that never change. God's word never changes. Stays in effect. Oh, yeah, but the Bible says this thing is a sin and everybody's doing it today. Doesn't make it not be a sin. Because the second thing that never changes is the wages of sin. That never changes. That continues the same. Third thing never changes is God never changes. And the key thing about God is his passion for the lost. I am so thankful that when I was buried up to my neck in my sin, in my selfishness, in my worldliness, God looked down, down here and he saw the mess I was and touched my life and changed me. God never changes He's still touching people's lives. He's still a grace-given God. And he still gives grace at the time clock no matter how old you are or how young you are. Whether you showed up in your teens or whether you showed up in your 70s, God still says, go work. Go work. Go work in my vineyard. Go work in my field. Here's the third thing I want us to see about the time clock, and that is the opportunity of time. It's an opportunity. There, there is, there's this landowner who's doing pretty well for himself, but he's got to have laborers. And so as he's, he's doing everything he can to get the laborers into the vineyard, speaking into people's lives. There's, there's plenty of harvest, and there are plenty of laborers, but they're standing around doing nothing. This, by the way, is the landowner's assessment. What are you doing standing here all day doing nothing? Well, they would say, well, we've been busy doing something. And the landowner is saying, but you're not going to get paid from me doing nothing. If you want some reward from me, if you want to share the harvest, you're going to have to get out in the field. Remember the story of the little red hen? I won't get into that. The harvest, any harvest, is dependent on the laborers. Yes. Have to, have to get hands involved. In verse 6, the New American Standard Version translates it like this. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? This is the landowner's assessment. They reply in verse 7, Because no one has hired us. It's not our fault. No one's hired us. I can just hear the landowner saying, where were you first thing this morning? Where were you mid-morning? Where were you at lunchtime? Where were you in the mid-afternoon? I come around at closing time and here you are looking like you're so eager to work in the field. Where have you been all day long? No one's hired us. No one's hired us. Listen, there's a spiritual principle. 
If you're not working in your own field, go work in someone else's field. That's the principle. If you're not working in anybody's field, you're standing around all day doing nothing. Because one day, rewards are going to be given out for what we've done with what we know down here on this life. It's a judgment day. Well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian too, but I understand I have to give account of what I've done with my life down here. And rewards are given out based on that. I, none of us Christians are going to hell. Thank God for the grace of God. He paid the price for us. But rewards are given out for those who've been faithful with what they know. God help us to be faithful. These are not capitalist values. And these are not socialist values. These are kingdom values. And the church in America, unfortunately is dying, it's stagnating because everybody wants to come to church and pay the pastor to do the labor. And it needs everybody's involvement. All of us need to come work. We can see this parable makes it very clear to us. Let's go to number four. I'm going to call this the fickleness of time. You know what fickleness means? Can't count on it. Some things you can count on, some things you can't. The landowner says, pay, pay the people who just showed up first, and then you work your way to the people that came earliest. Why? Why pay the last first? It's a spiritual principle yes. that we don't understand because it doesn't seem fair. And we think anything Christian should be fair, right? Right? doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. That's a worldly value. He agreed to pay for for the first group, first thing in the morning, it said in verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. Verse 4, in the middle of the day, he says, I'll pay you whatever's right. But at the 11th hour, he just says, go work in my vineyard. Doesn't say anything about the pay. Actually, quite frankly, it's a worldly-minded question to say, what's in it for me? We should be asking, what's in it for you? How can I further your kingdom, God? Because if we'll take care of him, he'll take care of us. As long as as our thoughts are, what's in it for me, God's going to let us find out what's in it for us. We seek him, put him first, then he takes care of all these other things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's what, it's what we call comparative righteousness. I should have righteousness equal to your righteousness. If you're going to be blessed, I should be blessed the same or more or less based on how I compare my value to you. God sees everybody the same. I'm sorry to pop your ego bubble, but God sees everybody the same. He sees the, the drug addict who's finally, after 20 years of addiction, comes to God for grace. He sees them equal with you. Well, you haven't, you haven't been in that drug problem. No, but God still sees you equal because he's looking at our sin 
whether it's there, whether it's not, and the ground is level at the cross. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let no wise man boast of his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast of his might, nor a rich man boast of his riches. But let the one who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mercy, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So quit this attitude of bragging about your success. That's God's favor. You think you've become a great success, you've lost your gratitude. You started with nothing. And look where God's helped you to become. Always put it back on God. Always honor God. So we get this attitude, this isn't fair. Listen to me. What happened to Christ wasn't fair. He didn't have any sin. But he paid the death penalty. That's not fair. He paid the death penalty so that you in your sin could be forgiven. That's not fair. But it's a gift of God. It's the way God thinks. He doesn't think like we think. Think about this. Why is it that blue-collar workers live longer than their bosses? Ever thought about that? Why is it that the custodian is the happiest person in the workplace? Why is that? Why is why is it the widow who's the one busy encouraging everybody else? Why is that? You see, it's a spiritual thing on the inside. God's trying to get us to be workers in the kingdom. And sometimes there's pressure in this world, pressure to succeed, pressure to make money, pressure to be famous, pressure to do this or do that, that just takes away the joy of our salvation. Somebody say amen. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's number five. Here's the last one. I'm out of time. I'm over time already. The tension of time. The tension. Let me give you real quick three stories in the Bible that talk about the tension of this time thing uh, as it relates to working in the, in the kingdom. First is the story of what we call the story of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. One stayed faithful, worked on the farm, never gave his father any trouble. The other one said, I want my share now. So his father gave him his share of the inheritance. He went out and blew it on, on uh, wild living, doing what he wanted to do, partying, prostitutes, all of that. Which, which one's the good son? But the prodigal son learned his lesson the hard way when he lost everything, came back and said, maybe dad will just give me a job on the farm. And dad welcomed him back with open arms. Killed the fatted calf, had a party, invited all the neighbors in. And then the older brother, who never gave his father a problem, comes in and he's jealous. You never threw a party for me. 
you're treating my younger brother better than you're treating me. Dad said, you never were lost and came back again. We have to celebrate because he was, this year brother was lost and he's come back again. That's the first story. Another one along this line is a master. Uh, Jesus tells the story of a master who had this farm and he had to go away. So he put the servants in charge of his farm. And he said, I'll come from time to time and, and collect my share of the rent. But when he sent a representative to collect the rent, they beat him up, sent him away. So he sent another representative. They beat him up. Finally, he sent his own son. And the people said, hey, this is the son of the landowner who's old. He's going to die. He didn't care anything about this farm. We're the ones who care about it. So let's kill the son, the heir, and then it'll be ours. That story's in the Bible. The first story tells us that seniority doesn't count in the kingdom of God. The second story, story tells us that tenure doesn't count in the kingdom of God. And then there's a third story of a father that had two sons. And he asked the first son, go work in my vineyard. And the son said, no. I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. The second son, he asked, and he said, yes. But the one that said yes really didn't go. And the one that said no changed his mind and went and worked. Which one did the will of his father? The one who changed his mind and went and did it. Seniority doesn't count. Tenure doesn't count. But repentance counts in the kingdom of God. Change your mind. Get involved. So you either work today in your own field or you have to find someone else's field to get involved and labor in. Because you can't stand by idle because the clock is ticking. Time is slipping by. The harvest is at hand. And the, the landowner... Father God is not happy with people standing around doing nothing when he has set before us a harvest opportunity. So I say to you this morning, go work in the vineyard. Find a place to get involved. Jesus is coming back again. When he comes back, the harvest is over. I believe we're at that time where he could come back at any time. And I don't want him to catch me standing around with my hands in my pocket. I want him to find me at work in his vineyard. Yes. Let's stand together. I want to encourage you. There's things you can do. There are little things you can do. Attitudes that you can demonstrate. Little words that you can drop into people's life. You can be a representative of God right where you work. Right where you spend your time. With the co-workers God's already brought around you. With the neighbors. With the family that you already have. Get involved. Say something. Don't be silent. It, this is, for some of us, it's harvest season. But for some of them, it's seed planting season. While we're involved in the harvest, we can plant seeds into people's lives, seeds into their mind yes. to get them thinking about God's involvement in their life. 
We're going to sing this last song about running to the Father. And listen, maybe what we need to do is run to the harvest because it's out there, it's ready, and the Master wants laborers in that. Let's sing this last song.